Isaiah chapter 29, verse 1. Woe to Ariel, Ariel, the city of the encampment of David, add year to year, let festivals go round. Ariel could mean Lion of God, and Jerusalem is in the territory of Judah, and Judah is represented by a lion. That's the symbol for the tribe of Judah, because it's the royal tribe. When it says, add year to year, let festivals go round, that's because Jerusalem is proud of its religious feasts. It thinks that it's saved by practicing ordinances, but even in the Old Testament, no one could be saved unless they repented of their sins. But Jerusalem continues sinning, which is spiritual hypocrisy. 2. And I have sent distress to Ariel, and it hath been lamentation and mourning, and it hath been to me as Ariel. The Lord says that he is going to send distress to Jerusalem. 3. And an encampment, O babbler, against thee, and I lay siege against thee, a camp, and I raise up against thee bulwarks. Jerusalem will be under siege. The Assyrians did besiege Jerusalem. 4. And thou hast been low, from the earth thou speakest, and from the dust makest thy saying low, and thy voice hath been from the earth as one having a familiar spirit, and from the dust thy saying whisperest. A familiar spirit is a demon who pretends to be a dead person, or a demon who pretends to be your spirit guide and give you information about the past and or the future. Witches use familiar spirits all the time, and people who are into New Age and Spiritism also use familiar spirits, including some people in the Christian churches who are practicing Spiritism but may or may not know it. This verse sounds like he's talking to Satan because he says that you are going to be laid low like the dust, and your voice is going to come from the dust. This could be saying that many people in Jerusalem are going to die. I see it as a metaphor of when he struck down the serpent from the tree of knowledge, and then that serpent could never walk again, and it became a snake. So he's saying to Jerusalem, you're going to be struck down. You're not going to be able to stand tall when I attack you with the Assyrian army. 5. And as small dust hath been the multitude of those scattering thee, and as chaff passing on the multitude of the terrible, and it hath been at an instant suddenly. He says the Assyrian army is going to come just like dust. You can't count how many particles of dust are getting blasted at you because they're so tiny and there's millions of particles. It will fill to the people of Judah as if they're getting attacked by an army of millions. And the attack will come suddenly. They won't have any time to prepare. 6. By Jehovah of hosts thou art inspected, with thunder and with an earthquake, and great noise, hurricane, and whirlwind, and flame of devouring fire. This may be metaphor because these are all ways that the Lord is described in the Bible. A whirlwind came before he passed by Elijah when Elijah was hiding in a cave, and a whirlwind also took Elijah up to heaven. And also the Lord is a devouring fire 
He constantly describes himself that way because he devours his enemies and he purifies his children. And he was also the pillar of fire by day that led the Israelites through the desert. 7. And as a dream, vision of night hath been the multitude of all the nations who are warring against Ariel and all its warriors and its bulwark, even of those distressing her. The Lord says that a multitude of nations will come against Jerusalem. In a sense, this is true when the Assyrians attacked Jerusalem because lots of different nations were mingled into the Assyrian Empire. But also, in the end times, many nations will come against Israel in the field of Armageddon. And again, Ariel refers specifically to Jerusalem. 8. And it hath been as when the hungry dreameth, and lo, he is eating, and he hath waked, and empty is his soul. And as when the thirsty dreameth, and lo, he is drinking, and he hath waked, and lo, he is weary, and his soul is longing. So is the multitude of all the nations who are warring against Mount Zion. Verse 8 does sound like it's talking about Armageddon, because the nations are going to want to devour Jerusalem, but they won't get any part of Jerusalem. In the battle of Armageddon, the Lord is going to send fire down to consume the opposing armies. The metaphor is that it will be as if they are dreaming that they're eating and drinking, but when they wake up, they're thirsty and hungry, and they weren't eating or drinking anything. That is how Armageddon will be. After the millennial reign, Satan will be let loose from the pit, and he will incite all of the nations to war against Israel, telling them that they're all going to get a piece of Israel, and in reality, they're going to get nothing. 9. Tarry and wonder, look ye, yea, look, be drunk, and not with wine, stagger, and not with strong drink. Being drunk is often a metaphor in the Bible about the wrath of God. The person who's drunk and staggering and falling is often the subject of God's wrath. So it says, get drunk but not on wine, and that literally is saying, experience the wrath of God. 10. For poured out on you hath Jehovah a spirit of deep sleep, and he closeth your eyes, the prophets, and your heads, the seers, he covereth even the people who were appointed to be prophets of God, the Lord made it so that they couldn't hear his voice or see any visions from him. The Lord made it so that they couldn't tell anything true to the people. 11. And the vision of the whole is to you, as words of the sealed book, that they give unto one knowing books, saying, Read this, we pray thee. And he hath said, I am not able, for it is sealed. This is a metaphor saying that no one can understand the vision of the Lord because those who are able to understand visions are not receiving a vision. So it's like the book is sealed to them. And those who cannot understand visions, they can see the vision, but they have no idea what it means. So nobody really knows what the prophecy is from the Lord. 12. And the book is given to him who hath not known books, saying, Read this, and we pray thee. And he hath said, I have not known books. That's the person who doesn't understand the vision. 13. And the Lord saith, Because drawn near hath this people, with its mouth, and with its lips they have honored me, and its heart it hath put far from me, and their fear of me is a precept of men taught. 
14. Therefore, lo, I am adding to do wonderfully with this people, a wonder and a marvel, and perished hath the wisdom of its wise ones, and the understanding of its intelligent ones hideth itself. The Lord says, because these people are fakes and hypocrites, they claim that they fear me, but it's just a catchphrase. They don't really genuinely fear me. They sin constantly, even though they claim that they're my people. So to them, I am going to work some marvelous wonders. And what he means is, he is going to show them his wrath. Today in the church, there are many teachers, preachers, and churchgoers who claim that they love the Lord, and they can talk Christianese, and they say that they're born again, but in reality, they're practicing worldliness. Their faith is really in their bank account, or in their spouse, or a political leader who they elected. Their faith isn't really in Jesus, and they're not really afraid of a holy God who tells them to repent. They think that they can sin a little bit, and it won't matter to the Lord, that he'll just keep forgiving them, and they're wrong. 15. Woe to those going deep from Jehovah to hide counsel, and whose works have been in darkness, and they say, Who is seeing us, and who is knowing us? Isaiah says, Woe to those who sin in secret, and they don't think anyone will know. God always knows. A lot of times we try to hide our sin from our friends and family and co-workers, and especially the people at church, but we don't even understand that it's God who will judge us, and we can't hide anything from God. The worst that people can do to us on earth is disown us, humiliate us publicly, but they can't put us in eternal hell, so it's the Lord who we should fear, and the only way to please Him is to stop sinning. 16. Your perversion, as clay is the potter esteemed, that the work saith of its maker, he hath not made me, and the framed thing said of its framer, he did not understand. Isaiah says that the Israelites are judging their own creator, just as if a pot would judge the potter who created it. 17. Is it not yet a very little, and turned hath Lebanon to the fruitful field, and the fruitful field for a forest is reckoned. The Lord says in a short amount of time, places that were forests will turn into fields, and fields that used to have agriculture will turn into forests. This is a way of saying that God turns things upside down. He can quickly change our circumstances in a way that we're not expecting. 18. And heard in that day have the deaf the words of a book, and out of thick darkness, and out of darkness the eyes of the blind do see. When Jesus came and revealed his truth that he is the Messiah, and that we must follow and obey him, that caused people who were spiritually deaf and blind to become spiritually seen and hearing. 19. And the humble have added joy in Jehovah, and the poor among men in the Holy One of Israel rejoice. Those who have nothing to live for in this world very easily turn to Christ. That's why God doesn't mind when we're poor, because when we're poor we depend on Him more. In the New Testament, every single thing that Jesus said about riches was negative. He didn't say one positive thing about wealth. And that's because when people are well off, they don't think of God anymore. 
Also, the humble will have joy because it's the humble who get saved. You have to be humble in order to repent and hate your sin and hate the life that you used to live. But when you're arrogant, you don't think that you did anything wrong, and then you can't repent and you can't be saved. 20. For ceased hath the terrible one, and consumed hath been the scorner, and cut off hath been all watching for iniquity. Anybody who leads others into sin or mocks the word of God, those people will be destroyed in the end. 21. Causing men to sin in word, and for a reprover in the gate lay a snare, and turn aside into emptiness the righteous. The world, and sometimes religious organizations, persecute those who actually want to walk in righteousness. And they make fun of them and they say, oh, these people are practicing works salvation and and they think that they're better than the rest of us and they don't believe in the grace of God. Whenever you want to walk in righteousness, there's an unrighteous Christian who will accuse you of not believing in God's grace. And they'll say that because you're trying to repent, you don't believe that God's grace can save you. But what God's grace does is it enables us to be able to repent, and that's where his grace comes in. The grace of God never excuses willful sin. It enables the broken of heart to walk in righteousness. The people who call the righteous those who practice works salvation, those people are laying a snare for others so that others cannot get saved because they're teaching people that it's impossible to repent. 22. Therefore thus said Jehovah, who ransomed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, not now ashamed is Jacob, nor doth his face become pale. 23. For in his seeing his children, the work of his hand, in his midst, they sanctify my name, and have sanctified the Holy One of Jacob, and the God of Israel they declare fearful. The Holy One is always Jesus Christ. In the entire Bible, the Holy One always refers to the Son of God. And the Lord here says that he will take away the shame from Israel because he will redeem those who want to repent and follow him. 24. And the erring in spirit have known understanding, and murmurers learn doctrine. When people repent genuinely, they teach others the true doctrine by their faithfulness, that it is possible to repent and walk in holiness and righteousness. None of us will ever be perfect because we've already sinned, and we can't erase that fact. Yes, we're forgiven when we repent, but that doesn't take away the fact that we already sinned, so none of us are holy. Only the Holy One is holy because He never sinned, and that is Jesus Christ. But all of us can walk in his righteousness from now on, by faith, and with him alive in us. And that concludes Isaiah chapter 29.